Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I'm on the phone with Brian, and on this week's episode we're going to be talking about the 2023 film Scream 6, directed by Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillette, written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick, and starring Melissa Barrera, Jasmine Savoy Brown, Mason Gooding, Jenna Ortega, Hayden Panettiere, and Courtney Cox. In the sequel to the reboot that came out last year, the Ghostface Killer returns to stalk the victims of the last movie who now live in New York City. If you are new to our show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion for the first 15 to 20 minutes, then we'll take a quick break, you can hop out, uh, and then we'll come back and talk about the plot. We'll go through the spoilers and we'll get into our review. Brian, uh, this movie comes out on the heels of part five of last year. What was your level of excitement going into this and what were some of your expectations? Uh, I think expectations might be the name of the game with this movie for people. I had mid, very mid expectations (laughs) because I was very mid on part five. I think I gave that a three. Which is funny, whenever I give something a three, I always feel like I'm giving it a bad rating. I know. (laughs) I enjoyed it. I just didn't think it was that great. Uh, So I was just like, nah, I expect about the same from this one. Uh, My hopes were not high. So I wasn't even really that excited about it at all. It was just like, okay, well, that's a movie I know I'm going to go see in the theater, and that's about it. How about you? Exactly the same, man. Pretty middling expectations. I must have come in at like a three and a three and a half, right? I can't remember, but you weren't very, you weren't much higher on it than I was. Right, right. And then uh, the the fact that like this is a year just seems like too quick to turn around something quality on something that wasn't that great to begin with. Um, Talking about the one from last year. So had a lot of uh, doubts about how good of a film this would be. And uh, yeah, I think, I feel like the cast from the last film, we weren't like crazy about, were we? Correct. And I specifically was not happy with Melissa Barrera's performance. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I but I'd also seen her in In the Heights yeah. last year. And I just I did not, <laughs> I wasn't impressed That's with funny. either film. I was pretty impressed with In the Heights. I mean, uh, that, that, that that kind of musical is hard to do. And you love uh, Hamilton. I, I thought you're all about that, dude. Uh, what's his name? Um, Something with an M. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, and he was an M in there. Um, I, I really like Hamilton, but the more I watch of his kind of stuff, I'm like, oh, it's kind of all the same. <laughs> but I specifically yeah. just didn't think she was a great performer in either of those films. Okay. Okay. So she wasn't on your, uh, yeah, huge list or anything. That, that was part of the reason I'm not super excited for this one. I'm like, well, she's the final girl. She's the new Sydney. Yep. My ceiling can only be so high with these movies. Yeah. And the other, speaking of Sydney, I mean, the the big thing here is this is the first Scream film that Nev Campbell isn't in due to some uh, contractual issues where she didn't feel like she was being valued enough. And so our first Scream film without her, I'm not sure if I realized that going into this, but was that something you were aware of? I believe I was aware that I think I heard the news. She she made a statement um, I think I'll go ahead and read it if that's all right with you. Oh, yeah, go for it. 
She said, as a woman, I have had to work extremely hard in my career to establish my value, especially when it comes to Scream. I felt the offer that was presented to me did not equate to the value I have brought to the franchise. It's been a very difficult decision to move on. To all my Scream fans, I love you. You've always been so incredibly supportive to me. I'm forever grateful to you and to what this franchise has given me over the past 25 years. So I think basically she just wasn't getting paid enough. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it comes down to. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because, yeah, there, there's that statement. Then, like, all these other people from the cast or the production have come forward and like been like, oh, yeah, I support her decision. Um, I'm pretty sure, like, I, I, I think the whole conversation is weird. Like, um, she, did, she wasn't offered a good enough amount. She walked away from it. I don't understand, like, the supporting. Like, people are making it out like it was some big controversial decision. Um, is it? Am I, am I missing something? Like, I mean, it's just someone offers you something and you don't feel like it's worth your job, but you turn it down. Uh, do you need, like, everyone to be like, oh, yeah, I support that. You're doing the right thing. Well, I think the gender politics are the, the real heart of the issue and women getting underpaid. Yeah, but if you wanted to support it, like, it's it's funny to read about people who support it because they're just saying, like, yeah, I agree. They're not, like, stepping forward and being like, hey, Scream 6, uh, revise that contract and pay her more. Wouldn't that be supporting it? Not just saying, oh, I support her statement not to take part in this? Boy, I mean... I, that's a good question, I suppose. I just don't think that they have any power over what the studio was going to sure. pay her. But. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I just feel like these people are getting too much credit for really not doing that much. I mean, that's that's the... We could go on and on about that. That's the name of society. You, all you got to do is tweet something and people think you're a good person. Yeah, I support that. Yeah, exactly. Not saying anybody shouldn't support that or shouldn't do... You know. Yeah. I'm not saying that was the wrong thing to do to support that decision. Yeah. But... uh you know, yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like in the same boat. Like, I think everyone just kind of respects her decision there. She probably made the right call for herself. But uh, yeah, I, it's just funny to see all these other people being quoted um, when, like, the yeah. I don't know. I, part of me thinks like you can put more pressure on studios or on, uh, uh, especially for like your main character from a franchise, which is crazy. And then you could also, I mean, you could also look at it as look at this movie. You know, it's it's moving on. It's going to the next phase. It's got a new set of characters. Maybe her value to the franchise isn't as strong as it once was. Mm -hmm. You could look at that as a valid business decision. And I mean, I love Nev Campbell. I think she's great as Sydney. I totally understand that women are underpaid in every profession. Yeah. But at the same time, business-wise, she was barely in the last one. Sure. And the, the franchise is moving on without the legacy characters, with at least with minimized roles. So yeah, that's a good point. Even part four uh, was it? It was kind of like pulling away from her a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, she was still she was more involved in five, but yeah, even so. So like, it's she's almost being sunset, right? You know, I. I I'm not sure how much they really should have paid her. Mm. I'm just thinking of things in, thinking of things in terms of like a sports team or something. Yeah, like sure, sure. How much are you going to pay your aging all-star who's not really a part of the core group anymore? That's a good the point. The core four. <laughs> uh, and again, I shouldn't even say aging there because I don't want to bring that into the gender yeah. discussion. But that was more for the sports analogy. You know, someone who is very much part of the franchise's past but doesn't necessarily have a place in the future. Yeah, how much you're willing to spend them? So I agree. That's a really good point, and I, I think they that made a lot of sense. Like how they handled it with Dewey in the last one. Um, I guess I'm expecting like a, a big 
kind of like a dramatic scene where she dies at some point or, or somehow they write her character off. So just having her missing was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the franchise is trying to move on to new and build up new characters in a new world. Um, it's surprising to see Gail Weathers back here. Um, I yeah, I was yeah surprised to see uh, Nev not there, but um, Courtney Cox back. So she still, I guess, is valued in the franchise. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Honestly, I think she makes the most sense to keep having in it from a story perspective. Really? Why? Like, she's just. She is kind of the voice to the world of this whole phenomenon. Everyone knows about what's going on in these people's lives because of her. Like, this is a small <laughs> set group of characters. It's something that happened to one town yeah. and is now affecting the relatives of these people. But it's global news and a <laughs> is it? global phenomenon with the Stab. Yeah, with these, the Stab franchise sure. and the Scream world is incredibly successful. That's true. That's true. So, Gail is incorrect. Like, instrumental in in all this in the the world that scream exists in she's a big deal i don't know and i think oh god i mean you could drop her too whatever i don't really care <laughs> i don't care that much yeah. but i think it's organic to keep her to involved. keep her involved oh, okay yeah I, I can't tell how pivotal she is to the plot i know like throughout the series she's uh kind of played the role of like a detective but also like every movie starts out the same way where like the main characters hate her because of she her capitalizing on the previous film's events um, but, uh, she, yeah, she plays this really kind of strange role between the police and the victims as like a fact finder who's like, has kind of a similar arc throughout each film. Um, but yeah, right. Yeah. It, it, she is, I feel like this movie almost made her take a step back in terms of her growing. Like, I feel like she was getting a little less skeezy. Oh, <laughs> really? And then, and then this one like launched back into that. I, I think it did. At least yeah. her introduction into the story it was did. like, oh man, she's still <laughs> yeah, back to being a good old still scale. playing it fast and loose with her morals. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so you've got uh, Courtney Cox back. The other person I want to ask you about, uh, Roger L. Jackson. So this guy has been playing the voice of Ghostface for 27 years now. Is he the longest running villain in a franchise by any chance? Wow, that's a really good question, man. Um, let's see. Well, Freddy Krueger, that was 1984, and then, um, oh man, what was the, the last one they did? 2010 wasn't him. It wasn't so, him. Okay. Yeah, so, that was. Oh, I guess that's like. A, holy shit! I'm really struggling right now. When was New Nightmare? Was 1994, and shit, I think that was the last time he was played by Robert England. So yeah, mm. I think you might be right, man. Yeah, I, don't, I feel like this guy doesn't get called out enough. Uh, it's kind of crazy that he's been doing the same voice for that long. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, I think he doesn't get called out that much because he's just the voice, and <laughs> it's easy to forget about him, but it, he's important, man. If that is. voice was different, th these movies wouldn't be the same. Yeah, it's a very distinct voice, and like as soon as you hear it, it's like, yeah, the Scream franchise. Do you know, uh, this is kind of random, but like, do you know, is that his actual voice, or is there like some modulation going on? Oh, there's definitely some modulation going on. <laughs> he I mean, his like life would be ruined every time he ordered a pizza. <laughs> they would just hang up in terror. Really? I, like you've heard him like actually talk? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever heard him actually talk. But you can tell that there's a, a voice modulator thing. Oh, uh, okay. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I kind of there's something about his voice that like annoys me a little bit. Like the, the his inflections or the, like the things he says sometimes. Uh, or like yeah, the his playfulness, uh, which I, I, was, I was starting to like just think it was him. Um, but yeah, maybe that's not him in real life. <laughs> yeah, I, I sure hope not. What is your ranking of Scream films before we get into part six? Like, where, where do you stand? Before excluding six from the count, my ranking was one, four, two, five, three. Okay, cool. I'm with you on one, four, um, two, five, three. Yeah, I think I, I think I might be the same. I, I, I'm struggling between two and five. Um, I, I yeah, part of me wonders if I'd switch those, but I, I think that's that's uh, makes a lot of sense. So we we agree three is the worst scream so far. Yeah, okay. right. I feel, and everyone's got a different opinion, and that, that's an interesting thing about the Scream franchise, but I feel my ranking is correct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're so confident about this. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I think you're right. I, I did like two a little bit more than, two feels a lot more memorable than five. Uh, yes. So, some, some okay scenes. So yeah, I guess I would have to default to the rest then. Um, well, uh, you got a very similar writing team and, and directing team that was there around for or around for part five. Uh, you've got Matt and Tyler, who are the directors, and they're part of a group called Radio Silence, which did uh, a short in VHS. They've also done Southbound, and they did the film Ready or Not. Um, so uh, kind of some anthologies as well as some feature films. And then, as we've talked about, the cast is similar, uh, which we're bringing back uh, Hayden Panettiere. Is that how we said to pronounce it? Yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it. I could be wrong, but she was in four, yeah, and she's back. Do you... I, for, I thought she died in four. Did, did you think she had died, or did, did we know that she'd survived? I think she... Oh, man. I should have rewatched this whole franchise, because, oh, my God, the people... They get so, (laughs) with this franchise especially, people get so anal about what you know about all your little facts. Uh, But I thought it was left that you assume she died at the end of Scream 4. I totally assumed she died, yeah. But wait, maybe there was a holler, like, we got one more live one, like, towards the end. Oh, yeah, there was talk about a final survivor, but I think in the movie you're led to believe it's the woman- Emma Roberts. Who became the killer, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I guess maybe they left that open ended, and and this is actually her coming back. So. Perhaps. Yeah. But I mean, either way, she survived for for sure. <laughs> yeah, survived part four. So cool to see her there. Um, the other cast, uh, Jenna Ortega, like since part five to now, like I I feel like out of this whole cast, she's the one that's like blown up so much in the last year. Would you agree? She is a rising star and as emerging Scream Queen. Last year alone, she was in Scream 5, X, Studio 666, and Wednesday, the yeah. TV series. She was also in the Babysitter Killer Queen in 2020. Right, right. Did you see that one? So, No, I didn't see that one. I didn't like the Babysitter enough to bother with the sequel. Ah, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, she's, she's become legit in, in, in horror uh, and uh, I think is probably the biggest star on screen for this film. I mean, if you exclude Courtney Cox. Yeah, I think she's the based based on the trends. She's she's the biggest name on there right now. Yeah, right. Who do you think is the main character in this new cast of uh, Scream films? Is it her or the... No, it's Sam. Sam played Sam. by Melissa Barrera. You sure? Yeah. 
No question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you care to make an argument otherwise, I will disagree with it. Uh, I might. At the end of this film, I might, I might come back. But I, I think it's a cool dynamic, uh, having those two at the center. And yeah, they are like so different. So you, you go from a franchise that's like all around around one person. Oh, I guess, so you you still feel like this, the franchise is centered on one main character? Yeah, I mean, the the torch has been passed on to Sam Carpenter. Okay. and then, But I think they're trying to focus. I mean, you had the core... <laughs> Core four, if you will, in the original <laughs> Scream film with yeah. Tatum, Gale, and Dewey. Right. Uh, maybe Randy's in there too. But you had a core group of people that stay throughout the franchise or maybe drop off or pass away. <laughs> pass away. <laughs> or maybe just Randy get old passed and die. away in a van. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Natural, Natural causes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you got to have this new group that the, the films move forward with. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. You do have to have that new group. Um, were there four? Like, when you think about how many people made it from part one to part two, it was four. I thought uh, it was only, like, uh, two. Randy, mm-hmm. Gale, Dewey, oh, Sid. You're counting, I mean, like, I, I don't think you can count Gale and Dewey as, like, part of the friend group. Those are, like, uh, elderly advisors to the main characters. <laughs> uh, They're not part of the friend group, but they are core characters. I mean, they lasted until... Yeah, the last... Gale's yeah. through six and... Dewey made it through five. Yeah, yeah, a good point. Yeah, okay. Uh, here, though, like, I mean, we were talking about a, a, an actual friend group, but I, I guess uh, Sam is a little bit older than the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, as far as the viewers are concerned, th- these are the characters you're familiar with. I don't think we sure. need to get into whether or not they're young or Gen- part of the Gen- friend Generationally group. the same, or like, uh, a f- is, is this more of like an uncle helping you or something? Like, yeah, she's she's your wacky aunt. Yeah, exactly. Gail Weathers coming in there. <laughs> Instead of chewing gum in her purse, she's got a gun. Exactly in her purse. <laughs> um, let's see what else. Uh, you got anything on the on the director or writer or cast? Uh, the, the directors are working on a new Escape from New York. Oh wow, cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, so that'll be on the way from them. Uh, the cast. I don't know if we mentioned this in our Scream Five episode, but Mason Gooding who plays Chad, is the son of Cuba Gooding Jr. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Pretty notable. Yeah. And uh, Samara Weaving was in this, too. Yeah, right. Samara Weaving. Pretty big deal. And she was in Ready or Not with these guys. Radio silence behind that as well. So that was cool to see her. She was also in The Babysitter, right? Yes, okay. but they didn't have anything to do with the babysitter. But right, we just mentioned that because Jenna Ortega was in the sequel. Sure, right, right. Um, and then on Rotten Tomatoes, this is at seventy-seven percent, ninety-two percent by audience, versus I think the previous film Scream is at a seventy-six percent, so one percent less on the critic score. Um, oh, okay. Box office, uh, it's earned seventy-five point one million. Uh, it's only been out probably a week at this point, uh, but on a budget of 33 to 35 million. So I'm sure it uh, has a lot more of a ways to go and will likely turn a profit. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was number one at the box office. Last year's Scream installment made 138 million total, and mm. this already is at 75 million, and it hasn't even been a week. So it's more than halfway there. Great. Yep. And last year's film finished the year as the number 25 film at the box office and number four horror movie. So mm-hmm. I think this could rank even higher by the end of 2023. Wow. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cra- crazy the momentum that's going here. And uh, I haven't seen any um, 
kind of commitment to Scream 7 yet. I mean, I'm sure it's going to happen, but have, have you seen any confirmation? I think I did see that it was confirmed. Oh, they okay. got, you know, they got the green light. Damn, so they're just pumping these out uh, now? Five, pumping six, these seven. out. And, you know, you mentioned there's only, you know, a, a year gap between these two, but there was less than a year gap, I think, between Scream 1 and Scream 2. Oh, yeah, right, right. Remember they were, like, both big earners within the same year? Yeah, you're right, you're right. That's, 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 uh, yeah, I guess this has a lot of similarities to Scream 2. I'm sure we'll talk about it as we go through the plot. Part of me makes me wonder if this is a sequel to Scream 2 and not, uh, Five Cream. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tie, tiebacks to Scream 2. I think some of them kind of ended up happening a little bit by accident, which we'll get into. Okay, cool. Other background do you want to mention? Oh, there was a viral marketing stunt involving Ghostface standing around in several cities. Mm, cool. You could also win, enter a contest to win a call from Ghostface. <laughs> and that's and not, where he'd tell you about how hard it is as his life with his normal voice as Ghostface. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so hard to order a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Can you order it for me? Uh, I am always required to read the entire franchise films and when they're released. Oh, so. yeah. Scream came out in 1996, Scream 2 in 1997. Both of those were directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. Scream 3 came out three years later in the year 2000, directed by Craven but written by Aaron Kruger. Scream 4 in 2011, Wes and Kevin Williamson back at it again. Then last year's Scream 2022, Matt and Tyler directing, and then James Busick, no, I'm sorry, James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick wrote that one. Uh, just like they did this one. So mm. it's kind of nice to see these squads like running with it and then like passing the torch. It's not like other franchises, slasher franchises, where you've got a new director every single time. Sure. Yeah. It's good for consistency. Steady hey, hands at the wheel. Hey, uh, one other thing on Scream and its like cultural impact as you talk about like how long this franchise has been going on for. Um, in our lifetime, uh, how many movies have launched, like, if you think about, like, a character like Ghostface, right? Like, he's, uh, in the early 80s, you got, like, uh, or late 70s, you have Jason, Freddy, Chucky at some point, uh, the Texas Chainsaw dude. Um, so Ghostface pops up in the 90s, late 90s. Who else uh, in our lifespan has become, like, a new, like, iconic, uh, like, killer that we've seen, like, a franchise built off of, outside of this guy in Terrifier? He's, he's the only one I could think of, but any any others you can imagine? Not many, man. I mean, there's a Jeepers Creepers dude oh. who's been in quite a few. Yeah, um, good one. I think there's a Hatchet franchise with a killer named Victor Crowley, but I've yet to see those movies. Okay. There aren't many, buddy. I mean, I'm sure there's more. And then the big thing that we've seen in our, not in our lifetime, because some of that, those first slashers were going on when we were young, but some of the stuff that we kind of were conscious of when we were growing up like the birth of these icons mm -hmm. it's really been more like the ghost stuff like insidious franchise right. the conjuring universe sure very few slasher icons yeah. so yeah this is very unique yeah yeah i feel like this guy uh ghost is one of the more uh yeah more recent like slashers that are iconic and especially sure. in this, this last generation 100 uh, cool any any other background info um, let's see. I think I just would like to shout out our Patreon supporters. Oh, cool. So thank you to Nick P., Mike B., and Tim U. We appreciate you supporting the show. That helps us a lot. 
Um, if anybody else wants to become a Patreon supporter, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and click the big orange button, subscribe for a dollar a month, and you'll get access to our bonus episodes as well as a video that Ashvin and I did recently just chatting about our recording setup and another video on the way in about a week or so. Exciting stuff. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, you ready for the Ohio Connection, Ash? Let's hear it. Okay. Our Ohio Connection, as always, comes from Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. He connects every movie to our home state of Ohio for us, and he says, Scream 6 is the sixth installment in the Scream slasher film series written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. Vanderbilt has an impressive filmography, having written the films Zodiac, The Amazing Spider-Man, White House Down, Independence Day Resurgence, Murder Mystery, plus the previous Scream film. He is also a descendant of the famous Vanderbilt family, an American family who gained prominence during the Gilded Age with most notable success in shipping and railroad empires founded by Cornelius Vanderbilt. The Vanderbilts were once the wealthiest family in the United States, and Cornelius was the richest man, richest American until his death in 1877. Among their business holdings was CNO Railroad, a now defunct railroad headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio. That's awesome. Great slice of Great history. connection. Yeah. yeah, right? Didn't you used to live by like a Vanderbilt mansion or something in Asheville? Yeah, in Asheville, North Carolina, the uh, Biltmore is a <laughs> house. I think it was built by Cornelius, um, okay. and it basically bankrupted their family eventually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Lost it's it. enormous. I mean, it's yeah. a castle, and you can go tour it. It's really cool to go see. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Damn. But it's also like it's presented as such a romantic, charming thing. Yeah. And then when you really think about it and all that it entailed, you're like, this is pretty shitty. It just like, <laughs> drove his family. It was the dumbest idea in the world. Sure, sure. Some stupidity behind it. It's like the epitome of, of greed. <laughs> nice. Cool. I, yeah, that's not a family I'm familiar with. I feel like uh, you just think about um, the rock... Rockefellers and stuff. Rockweilers. Oh yeah, Ross. Uh, yeah, the Rockefellers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, the Carnegie. Yeah, the Carnegies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Good, good slice of issue there. Thanks a lot. Good connection. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else? Uh, no. I also want to say thanks for hanging tight to the listeners. This one's probably going to come out a day late. So it's our first Wednesday we've missed in five years, but. We're close, just one day behind. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot for sticking with us. It feels like we're turning in like a homework assignment a day later or something. <laughs> it feels a little sad to break a streak, but I know. at least we're not breaking the streak of releasing one every week. Sure. That'll make me really sad. Also, congrats on the first uh, Thursday release. We're breaking new territory. Hey, thanks. That's a good way to spin it. Yeah. Yeah. I tried that on my teacher once. I don't know if that worked. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, let's let's take a quick break. I, I got to go uh, check something. It might take me a few hours. You mind if we give you a call back? Sure, I guess. Yeah, fine. All right, cool. Thanks. I'll be right back. Hey, Brian, sorry about that. I'm back. Hey, it's okay, man. Everything okay? Uh, all good. You know, I, I just had to drive up to Wisconsin. I, I know you and I uh, got an Airbnb there later this summer. Just wanted to take a look at the fridge, make sure it's big enough for some things I plan to store inside of it. Um, it, it looks pretty roomy. Uh, if you can, <laughs> later, maybe send me some of your measurements. I'm making a suit for you. Uh, maybe chest size, arm size. 
a tibula if you got it tibula sure. size <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever you got sure man all right i'll send you some measurements cool thanks dude you're gonna be impressed <laughs> excited <laughs> all right so this movie uh kicks off with samura weaving she is sitting by herself at a restaurant in a crowded, uh, yeah, in a city. She's waiting to meet a date uh, on her phone. Uh, he is running behind. She gets a phone call from him, and he mentions that he's lost and uses this time while he's lost to kind of give us some background into her character. We learn that she's a college professor who teaches a course on slasher films, and she kind of speaks to, uh, you know, the important, like, yeah, some of the symbolism in slasher films on society and, you know, there's this some meta-ness going on here. Her date is struggling to find the bar, so she steps outside, and ultimately she ends up in an alley trying to find him, where she suddenly gets attacked by this killer who's wearing the ghost mask. The killer then takes off the mask, and we see it's some dude who we learn is one of her students. What do you think about this first kill? I thought it was pretty great, man. I think it was a cool idea for a unique setup that still is very much the way all these movies begin. And it was fun to see Samra. I can never remember if it's Samra or Samara. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those. Just great to see her. I think she's a, a fan favorite among horror fans. And it just felt like a cool, authentic way to begin the movie with a date that you found through an app yeah yeah i like that and uh the setting the setting is pretty cool and i agree like it's so cool to have her on screen and i feel like it's the first time we've heard her with her australian accent i feel like usually that's masked have you yeah. heard before i don't think i've seen her in a movie with an uh, anything but an american accent right right it's cool to see that um i don't know I, I thought the way this guy lured her out into an alley was kind of hard to bite into and then i was there there, I, I, there are two shocks here for me one ghost face like speaking when he kills her and like saying now you see red because at one point she's like the restaurant's red and he's like i can't see it then he stabs her and then he like gives this punchline which we've never seen ghost face like do that and then two like uh off right off the bat the guy takes his mask off and it's like whoa what's what's this movie gonna be about so that, that was right. kind of intriguing actually that like oh we're gonna know who the killer is this whole movie that's that's kind of a new new approach yeah that keeps you on your toes and i like the busy crowded street setting it, this takes place in new york uh there's going to be some cl- complaints among the fandom that we didn't take full advantage of the new york setting uh but i mean this was very much a scene that can only take place in a big city so i thought it was cool cool way to take advantage of the setting yeah i agree i agree the city offers up the alleyway uh, i don't know part of me missed the typical openings that take place like in a suburban home um but i guess we only had that in one and four and five so i guess we're like at a 50 percent ratio maybe yeah, that's true. I guess number two's, wow, another Scream 2 parallel. It also took place in a crowded public space. Right, right. Yeah, it's something different. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so, so yeah, cool cool uh, enough kill there. Um, you weren't too bothered by, like, how she gets in that alley. Like, that didn't seem too obvious. Like, what, why would you walk into an alley? I think that there probably was a certain point where she made a, may have realized it, but characters don't know they're in a horror movie even though she's a professor of slashers okay that's fair like yeah you don't know you're in a horror movie but you do know you're in an alley i mean i i live in a city i, I never walk in an alley unless it's like the trash can that's like right at the tip of the alley like what i mean like anyone who lives in a city why, why would you ever walk down an alley free pizza sometimes 
<laughs> has that been your experience <laughs> all right shit i'm missing out on a lot of i mean it's not like she's just walking down but i feel like it they did a good job of making it feel like a natural part of the conversation she's nervous she's on a first date he can't yeah. find the place you go out to help him find it it's just one of those things where you get into a situation where you're like oh this is a little weird and yeah. eventually you've it's, gone too far too and you're like, late, how yeah. the hell did I let myself get here yeah yeah yeah. I no, can believe it I guess you're right I think she as an actress does a good job of like showing that she's uncomfortable with where she is and like balancing that nervousness with the stupidity it's good yeah <laughs> Uh, so anyway, th- this killer goes back to his place where he gets a call from his roommate, uh, and he's convinced that his roommate's at home and his roommate is using the ghost face voice. The roommate makes him describe how the ki- kill felt, and we kind of get the sense that the two of them have been plotting to do these kills for a while. They're film students, and they're planning to eventually go after Sarah from the previous film. However, as he's talking to this person on Sam. the- f- uh, didn't, oh yeah, Sam, right, thanks. Uh, however, it turns out the person on the phone isn't his roommate as uh, the conversation kind of like gets a little bizarre. And when he opens the fridge, he finds his roommate's body parts all cut up and is suddenly attacked from behind from another ghost face. And then the title screen pops up. What'd you think about this kill? I thought this was cool too. And it was a pretty tense scene. And again, Something new here. This isn't the way these things go. You don't see a guy kill somebody, then have him get, get killed. Yeah. killed. Yeah, and yeah. attacked by somebody he isn't sure is his buddy who's in on it or an outside party. So yeah. that was a cool layer to add on, and I thought it was actually pretty fresh. I mean, I don't think people, once we finish through the plot here, I don't think fresh is an adjective that's going to get put on this movie a lot, but mm-hmm. the opening in my opinion sure was yeah it was inventive I'll, I'll, I'll give you that and like it kind of like uh, nice f- full of surprises like two killers and well you know who the one killer is but then there's another killer you don't know who he is um, but I don't know I felt like neither of these phone calls have been anywhere as creepy as uh, phone calls from their previous films when you have a person at home getting a call what do, do you agree I no. I thought that this one was pretty creepy not the her talking to the date thing because, and that was creepy in its own way. But I think the talk with Roger Jackson on this one was pretty creepy because you are pretty sure he's in the house already. Hmm. I mean, there's other ones where he's maybe outside and he's going to get in or you don't quite know where he is. But in this one, you're pretty sure it's the roommate or maybe it's not. So he's either going to find his dead roommate or he's going to find the person in the place and you don't know if it's just a joke so yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot to be unsure of here and that adds to the tension there's a lot to be unsure of but sometimes when there's too much to be unsure of I feel like it makes you confused to find the tension like usually it's like one person at home getting a call and doesn't know who it is off the bat it's like she's trying to figure out who that person is on the call but here like for half the call he thinks three-fourths of the call he's pretty sure it's his roommate even though as the audience I felt pretty certain it wasn't like the way like why would you be having this stupid conversation with your roommate like he's like oh how long have we known each other and then he's like oh we met back in this time <laughs> just I don't know it, it felt like uh it, it was almost like so uh silly and like unbelievable that like it took some of the scare away that like you're obviously not talking to your roommate if you were your roommate's like an idiot if he's like asking these if this is the conversation you guys have 
Yeah, I mean, he wasn't totally confident it was his roommate either. He was creeped out too. So. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. Towards the end, he got creeped out, and then and then you're right. The suspense builds. The music picks up, and then he opens the fridge. Okay, I'll give you that. The, the dismembered body, I thought was a nice touch too. I, and again, you don't know you're in a horror movie. So if you just <laughs> killed someone, what are the odds <laughs> that someone else? is going to kill you. True. I agree. You don't know you're in a home movie, but you do know when you're getting a call and uh, your friend sucks. Like, if, if my friend calls me and, like, we have that conversation, like, oh, describe how it felt when you killed this person or, like, how long have we known each other? And I have to be like, you tell me how long we've known each other. It's like, that dude's not my friend. He's this, or, or if he is, like, I make the wrong types of friends, you know? It's a... Uh, well, you're murdering people together, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That goes out the window. That's true, yeah. Maybe, maybe they were pretty shitty friends to begin with. Yeah. Uh, have you know? Have you picked up though on the brutality of these attacks? Like anything jumping out there? Yeah, I mean it's pretty brutal. Not unlike Scream Five. So no uh, disappointment there. I don't necessarily need the kills to be super brutal in a Scream movie. I'm more about the tension. But yeah, certainly a plus. It makes it a bit more menacing. I agree. I agree. Uh, I yeah. I, I think it definitely adds a layer of, of menacing, and it's not something we've had too much of in in previous uh, Scream films. But yeah, you're right. Similar to Scream Five. Yeah. Um. So then we catch up with our friends from the last movie, which comprise of Sam. We know her. We know that at this point that she's the daughter of Billy Loomis, who was the killer in the first movie. Her half sister, Tara. Yeah. Tara. Tara Carpenter. All right, Tara Carpenter. And their friends, Mindy and Chad, who are siblings that survived the last movie. The four of them now live in New York City. And while Tara is trying to move on from the killings of the last movie and try to go to school and live her life, we see that Sam is still pretty haunted by the trauma and worried that her sister isn't processing it enough, which is causing some tension between them where Sam is very overprotective of her and like kind of stays on top of where she's going and all that stuff, which is kind of annoying for, for uh, Tara. Um, we also learn that there's been some a lot of speculation on the internet that Sam was actually the real killer from the last film, and she gets harassed online and in public about this. And the other thing to note is that Chad has a boner now for Tara, probably after watching that dance that she did in Adam's Family, I guess. Uh, maybe. And then there are three new additions to this friend group. There is Quinn, who is Tara and Sam's roommate, Ethan, who is Chad's roommate, and Annika, who's Mindy's girlfriend. Um, you notice I'm calling her Tara and Tara? Oh, yeah, I've noticed. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too unusual for you. Proceed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to switch it up so that we're right like half the time here. I think it's Tara. What do you think? It was factually Tara. Okay, yeah. Let's let's go with Tara then. <laughs> That's what the facts point to. <laughs> uh, what do you think of all these characters uh, and like their original setup and how we introduce them and where they are at this point in the film? Uh, I'm here for it. I mean, it makes sense that they go to college. In Scream 2, they did the same. Uh, you got to have roommates in college, so that's that. Um, I wasn't wild about the characters in the last movie, so we've already mentioned that, but it seems there's maybe a little bit more focus on them and the relationship just feels a little bit more authentic. Yeah, I agree. Off the bat a little bit. I agree. It feels more like lived in. I, I think part five yeah. Scream was was like kind of introducing us to this new set of characters. Uh, this one, like we're, we've like skipped that step now, the painful step and like awkwardness of who are these people. And yeah, there's something uh, a little bit more like cohesive about them and connected. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'll go ahead and say it now. My opinion of Melissa Barrera's performance completely turned around. I, I thought she did a really good job in this one. Oh, okay. And, and I feel part, like that ship has been righted. And and you feel like you, looking back on part five, you now think she did a good job in that one too? No, no, I still think that was a bad <laughs> performance, and I could not connect to their relationship in that one. But I was happy to see that I did not have that problem in this movie. So Oh, great, yeah. We'll just know that right off the bat. Yeah, I wonder what, what changed. We'll, we'll come back on it, that. Just... I didn't feel it immediately, but I mean, right away I was like, okay, this is a little better, but then by the end of the movie I was yeah. on board. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think, I, I can't tell if it's because we know who Sam is by this point or we sat through like two and a half hours of them already, but yeah, I, I felt like uh, I, I liked them both uh, and uh, yeah, I think their relationship was really interesting at the start of this film as well. Agreed, agreed. Um, so after they learn about the murders of those college students up front, we also find out that the killer left Sam's ID at the crime scene. The two get summoned to the police station, but on the way they get attacked by a ghost face. They run into a convenience store, this bodega, and Ghostface chases them in there and kills several of the customers there and also grabs a shotgun and shoots the store owner. Um... And then is hunting them down, but is able to escape before the police show up. Uh, I was really surprised. Like, this was the first time I think Ghostface has had a gun on him. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Right? And, and like, just taking down, like, people in a con- convenience store? Like, that's, that's, that's kind of a sort of shock for me. Yeah, right? And I, I'm always a fan of that, when a killer just does something a little out of character, it makes them seem even more focused on the mission and ruthless. Yeah, I, I think that's what we're getting here, is a very like ruthless uh, ghost face. Like, you go into a public place, that's not going to stop him. He's coming in there, and he's like on a mission. For sure. Um, so Sam and Tara are taken down to the station, where they get interviewed by Detective Bailey, who is actually Sam and Tara's roommate's dad. Their roommate's name is Quinn, as we talked about earlier. He's openly suspicious of Sam because her ID was left at the scene. We also learn that the face mask, the ghost face mask that was left at the last scene was the same mask that was used in like part five or part four. Um, One of the recent Scream films, right? Yeah, I can't. People are going to get pissed we don't get all these little details <laughs> right. But I think maybe it was Richie's. Okay. And then they were like counting down to the killer in the first movie. Yeah. Like with every mask they found. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we'll, we'll get that out of the way here. That every kill, the the killer leaves a ghost face mask and it's in descending order from the last, the most recent Scream film. So also at the station, FBI agent Kirby Reed shows up, who we all remember from Scream 4. And from the show Heroes. You ever watch Heroes? No, I never saw Heroes. Oh, man, she was great in that. Um, She's come up to solve the case due to the personal connection that she has to Woodsboro and the killings. And, of course, we have the return of Gil Weathers. And uh, there's a nice throwback here with uh, when she shows up, they try to slap her, but she uh, dodges it. But then uh, Tara punches her. So uh, I think similar to like her res- her reception in Scream Two when she showed up on campus. Um, what you what you think about about these two characters coming back into the picture? Uh, I was on board with it. I actually loved when she dodged the first punch and then Jenna Ortega <laughs> got her when she was like in the middle of saying that she like had learned something or learned you know yeah. learned her lesson last time and then, <laughs> and then she clocked again. Yeah, I mean it's so stereotypical and cheesy, but at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm for it. 
<laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> That's fun. I feel like a lot of what this movie is doing is like going to Scream 2 and then like plus oneing it. Uh, it's like finding every, every trope that we remember from Scream 2 and like adding like a sl- slight twist to it. Right. So that night, while the group of friends are having an emotional dinner at home, Ghostface attacks, kills Quinn and her lover, who we never really met. Uh, Tara and Chad escape the apartment while Sarah attacks Ghostface unsuccessfully. Sarah, Mindy, and Annika? Is that her name? Annika, maybe? Okay. Annika are cornered into a bedroom while Ghostface is hammering away at the door. Sarah and Mindy manage to escape by crawling over this ladder to a nearby apartment to this guy that Sarah's been having relations with. But Annika, who has been brutally stabbed earlier, is thrown off the ladder while she's trying to run across it by Ghostface and falls brutally to her death. Uh, I thought this was a great sequence, like with him at the door and the whole like climbing uh, or crawling across the ladder. What, what did you think of this? I really liked it too. I, I it's cheesy and implausible in a sense that this woman could be like bleeding out and have the wherewithal to be crawling across this ladder. Yeah, and that Ghostface probably couldn't do more to make the ladder <laughs> topple, but. It was really cool, and it was tense. Yeah. Uh, and again, another scene that I don't think you really could have pulled off very well in a suburb. I mean, you could have gone from house to house, but they're really <laughs> not that close in a suburb. And the fall there, she falls, smacks her head on a dumpster, and yeah. dies brutally in this alley. Yep. That just, you know, wouldn't have worked in a in a fuzzy little hedge bush or something like that. So That's true. You're right. I'm basically just countering the... Not enough use was made of New York yeah. arguments. Because, I mean, this was shot in Montreal, too. So Good point. We can't really take advantage of the New York landmarks. But yeah. I thought they still made it a city environment and took advantage of that. Yeah, um, that, that's a really good point. Because even the last kill at the bodega, that's like a very New York thing. So, right. yeah, they are using these like New York-specific uh, uh, settings in Montreal to uh, give us the sense <laughs> of the city. Exactly. I mean, I'm sure New Yorkers will be upset, but yep. it's it's a big city vibe for, you know, all the average viewer needs to know. Sure. Yeah. And there's more of that coming up, which uh, is uh, kind of funny, actually. Um, so now, following this attack, the remaining friends, along with Detective Bailey, whose daughter just died, and FBI agent Kirby, they follow Gail to a secret old cinema that they that Gail has discovered was owned by those two film students that died in the beginning, and it's been converted into this kind of museum of collectibles from the franchise. So it's got all these ghost killer masks that other killers have worn. They have the knives that other killers used. They're like telephones and, and just like random stuff that like we've seen in previous films. And so they figure out that the killer is probably using this layer as a base and uh, to steal the masks from and use them in these killings where he's always leaving a mask behind. At this point, they decide to scream to it by luring Ghostface out and uh, calling him by... Or like, yeah, by by having the whole cell phone thing where Sam and Tara are walking out in public and they're calling him and someone's in a van tracking the call. So we we saw this in Scream 2 and it didn't go that well and they kind of make fun of that a bit. But they do this and they realize that Ghostface is at Gil's apartment. Meanwhile, Gil gets a call. And this is the first time Gil is talking to Ghostface in this whole franchise. Can you believe that? Historic, bro. Yeah. How has she gone like six movies with like never talking to it? Or five movies without talking to this guy? 
Yeah, it's impressive. I wish I had that kind of skill to dodge calls I don't want to answer. <laughs> I know. Over like 20 years of not yeah, talking to the person. <laughs> not one telemarketer <laughs> yeah. in 27 years. That is impressive, yeah. Uh, she gets attacked by Ghostface and puts up a pretty solid fight, but eventually she draws a gun on him, and we think she has the upper hand, but Ghostface gets the best of her by stabbing her with a shred of glass before she can kill him, and Ghostface escapes, or kill him or her. I mean, yeah, we don't want to say gender here. But uh, bef- she kills Ghostface before... Or no, she doesn't kill Ghostface. Ghostface st- stabs her and leaves before Sam, Tara, and the paramedics show up. Uh, I-, I thought this was a pretty smart uh, attack sequence. What-, what did you think? Yeah, I thought this was good and tense and honestly had a little bit more emotion to it for me than Dewey even dying because he brings up Dewey on the phone and yeah. you can tell it like cuts her deep. Um and it was, I heard the directors describing it, they thought it would be satisfying that, you know, the victim in this sense is doing so many of the right things. It's not like somebody making stupid mistakes over and over again, but she's just outsmarted and uh, mm. outmatched. And I think that is an important part of it. Like, she does things where you're like, yeah, okay, you got to yeah. deal, and then it's all over. Yeah, how didn't the gun thing pan out for her? Like, she had the gun on Ghostface, Ghostface was in a closet. She shot the closet. Then, like, she walks towards it, and suddenly Ghostface pops out. And, like, I, how did he get the upper hand there? I don't think he was in a closet. I think he was on the other side of her bedroom door, right? Uh, Yeah, but, yeah, so she shot through the bedroom door, and then, like, he goes away. Then she opens the bedroom door, comes out into the main room, doesn't see him. Then she calls the number, which is, like, really smart, right? She calls right. it back, and she hears it in the closet. She walks towards the closet, and then he pops out somehow and grabs... And like gets the gun away from her, right? Yeah, he said he was. He alluded to the fact that he was wearing a vest, but uh, it may or may not be true. Maybe he just wasn't in front of the door anymore. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, damn. I thought I thought she uh, she had him for sure. Um, one thing that's really starting to get on me at this point in the film is like the paramedics are the first ones to show up here with Sarah. Uh, or with Sam and Tara, where where the hell is the police coverage, both for like these two, Sam and Tara, who we know are targets of this uh, of of this uh, killer, as well as like the rest of the friend group or, or Gail? Like, how come they don't have uh, the coverage and they're hanging out with this cop who's like off duty, basically? Yeah, I mean that is a great question. There are many holes you can poke in this movie's logic. There would absolutely be a cop watching them at all times. Yeah. <laughs> We, we had that with, like, Nev Campbell in, uh, like, part two. I feel like she had, like, bodyguards around her half the time. Yeah, that's true, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I have no good answer for that. Yeah, I thought that was, that was kind of a miss here. And, and it gets a little more, more ridiculous as we go on. But seeing as that brilliant idea didn't pan out the way they thought it would, uh, the crew now decide to set up a trap at the old cinema with the help of FBI agent Kirby. The group of friends heads over there. <laughs> using nothing but New York's finest public transportation system, which we know is the safest place to be when a murderer is trying to get you. Uh, here, I think, is your, you know, you're all about this taking, uh, or get, paying tribute to the city. Like, did you feel like this was ridiculous? Like, why, why would you take the, the subway if there's a killer after you? Yeah, I mean, I think they mentioned they need to stay in crowded places for protection. That doesn't seem to have worked so far, but... <laughs> I can buy into that. Like, hey, we're staying in a crowd. This killer isn't going to... It's not like they're trying to stay safe from pickpockets or other people, but like, (laughs) 
if they can get in a crowd into a specific train car yeah they'll manage I don't know. Uh, we we've seen uh, Ghostface though not not care about crowds. Like at the bodega, he he just ripped everyone up. Yeah, I mean that's different. That's just a small oh. space with a few people. Yeah. Um, but I think this is different. There's so many people, and if he was wearing his whole garb, he might easily be noticed. But then I don't think they think about the fact that it's Halloween and everyone's dressed up. <laughs> I don't think they think about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Again, logic is not this movie's strong suit. Yeah, yeah. I would have loved to see them call an Uber and Ghostface is like the driver. Uh, oh yeah, that'd be fun. That, that'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they they take this train, but on the process in, in the process of doing so, Mindy and Ethan get split up from the rest of the group, and there's already like a funny dynamic between Mindy and Ethan, where Mindy's convinced Ethan is one of the killers, um, but I don't know. Uh, we'll, t- we'll talk about if we call that or not. But uh, with uh, the, while they're on the train, uh, the light keeps cutting in and out. And as Brian mentioned, all the other passengers are wearing these masks. So it's actually uh, kind of a cool and creepy scene. Uh, what, what do you think? I agree, man. I thought this was a really well-executed scene, very tense. Yeah. And that was something that I had down as a strength from the last one regardless of my mixed feelings about it, I thought the tension was very well done in the last movie, and I yeah. think they nailed it again here with a lot of these sequences. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Really well uh, paced. The music builds nicely. The lighting and, like, yeah, all, all like, the monster faces here. It looks... You're, you're surprised it's, like, a Scream movie watching this, I feel like. It's, yeah, uh, honestly, I think this was the most tense scene in the whole thing. Yeah, yep. Uh, and, yeah, a bunch of people are wearing ghost face masks, so they're, like, on edge every time they see someone in a ghost face mask. And then um, she does get surprised, or Mindy gets surprise attacked when one of the ghost face turn out to be ghost face and slips through the crowd, kills her, and then leaves the train. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, pretty cool scene, right? I I thought so, yeah. Cool. I, <laughs> I'm a little bit over the franchise's fan service and Easter eggs, especially mm. these past two. Like, they're hiding... Babadook and everyone's favorite horror movie characters in the crowd. Like, I know it's harmless fun, but it just has this vibe to me of like, is this what movies are now? Just trying to like (laughs) add as much like hidden stuff in there so that people can one up each other, being like, "Did you catch the thing?" I got the thing. (laughs) It's just like this horror minutia. Yeah. And maybe I'm sensitive because, you know, people people will rag on us sometimes for missing details. But is it really that important? Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's stuffed with, both of these movies have been jam-packed with stuff like that. And it just gets a little obnoxious. Yeah. Is it kind of like when, like, someone's always, like, quoting some book they've read uh, about something? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate fandoms. Where and I, I'm not saying I hate horror fandom. Yeah, I really like authentic discussions about things. I don't like discussions where it's just one person stating all the facts they know yeah. or the stuff they noticed. Yeah, and then the other person's just waiting for their turn to say all the stuff that they know <laughs> or the stuff they know. <laughs> and and I feel like this kind of stuff feeds into that kind of fandom. Uh, so you're talking about just the fact, like on the train, what like costumes people were wearing. You think that was like playing into the fandom? Yeah, I mean that's one of many. Uh, things that they do that plays into the fandom they just find a whole bunch of ways to sneak homages in and stuff like that which yeah there's nothing wrong with that but it it gets to be overboard like 
Sam and Tara's last name being Carpenter. I mean, they've done it from the beginning with Billy Loomis. Right. So many ties back to Halloween. Right. Speaking of which, her love interest, Sam's love in- interest from across the hall, mm-hmm. his name's Danny. Mm-hmm. His last name is Brackett. Danny, Danny Brackett. Brackett and Annie Brackett. Oh, was Larry Strode's oh, yeah. best friend in the first one. It's nice. just like, oh, can we, for <laughs> real? Like, that's over the top to me. That's too yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. I, You know, I appreciated it in part one when they did that. Uh, maybe this far into the franchise and like the the frequency at which they're doing it is getting a little bit unnecessary. They can drop it. Yeah, I mean, I'm being a little crotchety about it. It's not hurting anybody, but it's just like... yeah. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> let's yeah. focus up on on movie making. Sure, sure. It's funny because I think that thing is something uh, you would call out, or like anyone who's like a, a horror fan would like pick up on. I feel like that's not like stuff like the average viewer or myself would watch and be like, "Oh, that they're referring to that movie." Like even the Loomis thing. Like I hadn't thought about that until you just mentioned it. <laughs> but it allow. That's why I'm a little frustrated about it. It allows people, assholes like me, <laughs> to be yes. smug and like have something, have a one up on somebody. Like, oh. I bet you didn't notice that. But it's just like but, a way to puff yourself up while you're sitting there in the theater. But isn't that yeah, like I just the, feel pandered to? Isn't that like the lifeblood for assholes like you though? Like you, don't we you? thrive on such things, yes. <laughs> yeah. But it's best for us all to die. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely playing to an audience here. Um, but but I, you notice that though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I like. I feel like they do it in a way that uh, isn't totally going out of the way for the general viewer. But yeah, I, I can see that being like uh, ticks like a bunch of boxes for someone who knows their stuff. Well, then later on, when there's a scene where Kirby sits down with Mindy, I think, oh, and they're yeah. like, "So you're a horror fan, right?" And they like say their favorites of certain franchises. It's just like. I I think one of my criticisms with the franchise at this point in time is. The meta-ness is baked in. It's part of it. You can't get away from it. Yeah. But I feel like they could ease off the gas a little bit and just like mm-hmm. let the movie stand on their own. That's um, true. They can pull it out of know. like names and conversations like you don't need that anymore. You can just leave it to like uh, even like yeah the kills or like just the whole setup of the movie. Right. Right. Yep. I know I, it's inevitable. It's got to be meta almost or it's not going to be a screen movie. But yeah. I don't know if we just need to go so hard all the time. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's fair. That makes sense. Um, anyway, I'm taking the wind out of your sails with this plot walk here, <laughs> so we can get back to business. All right. So after, after all these things that have been going on that I, I wasn't aware of, uh, Sam, Tara, Chad, and FBI agent Kirby have now locked themselves inside the theater to trap Ghostface. Um, Chad and Tara finally kiss, but their kiss is interrupted when two ghost faces appear and go to town stabbing Chad pretty brutally. Um, So now the cat's out of the bag that there are two ghost faces. Meanwhile, Sam gets a call from Detective Bailey warning her that FBI agent Kirby was actually fired from the FBI recently for being rather unstable and that she's probably a danger to them. So now Sam is very suspicious of Kirby. So Sam and Tara are running in the theater and they see Kirby just as Detective Bailey shows up. Um, hey, how did Detective Bailey get inside? Wasn't the place kind of like locked up? Hmm, good question. I mean, we might find out in a little while. Okay, okay. Uh, Detective Bailey shoots FBI agent Kirby, and suddenly the two other ghost faces pop up, and they stand next to him, and we learn that there are three killers in this whole movie. Uh, one is Detective Bailey... The other two are his daughter, Quinn, and his son, Ethan. 
And we learned that their motive for this was that Sam's boyfriend, Richie, who was the killer in the last film that she killed, was the detective's son and Quinn and Ethan's uh, brother. Surprised, or did you see any of this coming? I was surprised. I am so bad at guessing the killer in any type of murder mystery that I don't try too hard during the movie. Whatever I think it's going to be is probably wrong. So <laughs> you just give up. I, I kind of come up with explanations why it could be everybody, but yeah, yeah I kind of give up. Yeah. Um, so I was surprised, but at the same time, it was a bit of a face palm because it felt like such an extreme reveal that it's three people, they're all family. <laughs> yep. Uh, Sam then never knew that he had a family, that Richie, they never appeared in any of the like funeral or the media <laughs> afterwards. There's so much. This movie requires you to suspend a lot of your disbelief. Right. This conclusion requires you to suspend fairly ungodly amounts of disbelief because then you also have to buy into the fact that he faked Quinn's death. It was just Quinn in makeup with a dead body we saw come flying into the room. Right. And managed to like let nobody else see that it wasn't her who was dead there. Like to pull that off, have a funeral for somebody. <laughs> I mean, maybe I don't know what the timeline was, so maybe the funeral hadn't happened yet. But mm-hmm. to fake the death in a crowded spot when police are on the scene is just unfathomable to me. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like it was, uh, since he's a cop, he was maybe one of the first arrivers and was able to do that. But yeah, how, that, that still doesn't really add up. It doesn't like, make sense that you could keep that from everybody. Yeah. And, and then what did who's the other body that he put in the place? And <laughs> right, how, exactly. That's just yeah. so wild, All everything they would have needed to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I, I had a feeling, uh, like if you had asked me at that point, like who my money was on, he was definitely towards the top because I feel like we got extra information early on in the film about Quinn and her dad and their brother that like felt very unnecessary unless like it was going to play into the plot that like, oh yeah, my dad moved here ever since my brother died. Like here's a side character telling us something about themselves, which doesn't really feel like it needs anything and and the lack of police presence just kind of felt like detective bailey was holding back on something but uh i i agree it, it is kind of crazy that like quinn was alive this whole time and and that was a fake death um and that uh ethan yeah i mean i i guess we didn't really know much about ethan so i that part wasn't too surprising to me uh but I, I don't know. Did, did did you have any strong opinions about Ethan being the killer? No, I mean, he could have always been a suspect. He was so vanilla and not really even around that often that he could have very easily been a red herring or he could have been the killer. Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah, he could have gone either way. Uh, I, I don't know. He's, he's also kind of an actor where you kind of want to believe he's innocent. He's got a very, like, innocent, dumb look about him. So I, I like, <laughs> he, he does have a dumb look about. Yeah, him. I think they play that up to his advantage. <laughs> um, but w- w- one thing that jumps out to oh, I, I will talk about that later. But yeah, the three of them then attack Sam and Tara. Tara stabs and kills Ethan. Sam shoots Quinn in the head, and finally Sam, who's been kind of like seeing her father Billy Loomis again as like an image, she dons her father's ghost face mask and outfit and stabs Detective Billy brutally to death with her dad's knife and I feel like every time Sam like kills someone even in part five like it's just like these really quick like furious stabs which are kind of badass right yeah it's pretty cool yeah the nice touch 
as usual, Ethan comes back to life for a final attack, but FBI agent Kirby, who we thought had died, uh, isn't dead yet, and she smashes the TV from Scream Part 1 that was there in this museum over this guy's head and kills him. The movie then ends with sisters Sam and Tara coming together, and we learn that somehow, miraculously, Chad, Mindy, and Gail, all our core characters, have somehow survived. Sam holds her father's mask in her hands for a second and ponders her identity as a killer, but then drops the masks and walks away to join the rest of the friends, and the movie ends. Thoughts about the ending? There's a little stinger at the end post credits scene. Did you what? stick around for that? No, I stuck around, but I didn't see a post credit scene. I guess I didn't stick around long enough. What, what was it? Do you remember that scene on campus where Mindy's like giving everybody the, the, the typical Randy monologue about, yeah, this is the way these movies work? Yeah. Uh, it's just a quick line from her where she's like, and yeah, okay, no movie, not every movie needs a post credit scene. We're over it or something like that. <laughs> and then it just cuts. It's like oh, a, that's all it is. her saying that line. It's like four seconds. It's just like I an audio was, clip. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, you see her there, but it's just like oh, you okay. see her for a few seconds and then it's gone. Ah, uh, that's funny. <laughs> I thought it was pretty clever. Uh, yeah, what would what, you think of this ending? What would you think of this movie? What do, what, do you, what do you think worked here and didn't work? Uh, I thought the ending was climactic enough. I, I, I didn't love the killers. I didn't really love uh, the performance. Uh, I actually thought Quinn was fine. She was believable, uh, played by Liana Liberato. But... I did not think that Dermot Mulroney, or is that how you say his name, who played Detective Bailey, I didn't think he was doing a good job at all throughout the whole movie. It was like a campy performance, which felt a little out of place. I mean, this movie is a little hokey, but yeah, it just didn't feel authentic. Yeah, I, I saw it with a friend, and they called that out, too, that, like, yeah, this guy's a terrible actor. Yeah, right. And then Jack Champion, who played Ethan, just meh. He was just kind of there. Sure. Um, I guess he was just kind of there for the whole movie, and then at the end... He just didn't feel very much like a killer to me. It felt forced. Uh, but maybe he's just you know, little brother along for the ride or whatever. But I liked the eventfulness of the conclusion. I liked how big it was. I liked how it came back to her, uh, Sam and Tara, and hey, you got to let me go. A little hokey, but it came back. You know, I, I've said it before in reviews. I would prefer... When it comes to character relationships and character moments, that we go cheesy instead of not giving us enough. I mean, if you can walk that subtle line perfectly, then like that's the goal. But I'd rather have them having cheesy moments together and like core four moments hmm. than to not feel connected to the group at all. Sure. In sure. the fifth movie, I did not feel connected to Sam and Tara as sisters. I felt their dialogue wasn't even believable. I remember there was one point where Tara totally snapped at Sam, and I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but here, I thought they put in a lot more effort to have the two of them talking, the two of them have a relationship. They have a challenge in their relationship that they're trying to get through, where Sam being a helicopter sister, essentially. And they work through that in the conclusion, and then Sam also has this internal struggle of, Am I a killer? I'm afraid of myself. And I thought that even though Billy Loomis appearing to her in the fifth movie seemed really cheesy, here it felt a lot more organic because that is her character arc through and through here is that she's afraid of herself and she doesn't know. She's struggling with her identity. They had a little bit of that in five, but I thought it really hit home here and they, they made it a through line. So 
she sees him and she's struggling to be like, am I you? Like, is, are you in my blood? I think what really hits at home this time is that we have the info from the last movie that it felt good to her when she killed the killers last time and right. that something about it felt right. So she's terrified of that part of herself. And then to have Tara be like, yeah, you go ahead and fucking kill this dude. It was just a cool moment. It was, yeah. I, I love that, man. That's uh, I, I think that's one of the strengths of this new cast and uh, these new, uh, like Sam and, and Tara is like, yeah, that, that rich background of her battling with this dilemma of, yeah, that was my dad, but that's not me. But then, like, kind of enjoying the aspects. And you're right, they carry that through line. Like, they, they talk about it in the beginning. We see her talking about that with the shrink. And then it's nice that they circle back to that theme at the end where we see her, like, actually enjoying killing this person and wondering if, like, killer the killer instinct in the blood, which I think makes her a way more interesting person than Nev, uh, Cindy ever was. Uh, what, what, what do you think? Did you just say Cindy? Uh, Sid- Sydney. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I, I did heard say Cindy. Cindy yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, th- I think that was her real name, but everyone just was pronounced it as Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> I, Hello, Sydney. <laughs> what you call me? <laughs> I was, sorry, wrong number. I'm yeah. looking for a Cindy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, I I actually you know you've I've always appreciated Nev Campbell's performances more than you. I think I like Sydney as a character more than you. I think it's cool to have Sydney. She's haunted by her past and the things that happened to her family, and Sam is haunted by herself and like what kind of person am I? Mm-hmm. And I think that's cooler. It's not like Sam, you know, she has a tragic past, but it's kind of farther back. But Sam's story doesn't totally mimic Sydney because that would get annoying. Uh, and, yeah. and that's um, some pushback I have on other people's complaints too. Like, we don't, I don't think we need to see everyone close to Sam die for X amount of movies, just like we saw everyone close to Sydney die for X amount of movies. They, that doesn't have to be Sam's exact story, right? Sure. That would just get annoying to me and, and monotonous. But Sam's struggle is not. I've had all this horrible stuff happen. How do I keep going on? It's, am I, what kind of person am I? Yeah. And like, I think that's cool that she's going through a little bit of a different arc. Right. Yeah. I, I like it too. And yeah, I, I definitely have issues with Nev Campbell's acting and I, I think Sam's uh, acting is way better because uh, she's doing more than just squinting her eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm glad you, you were sold on the squints. The squints. It sounds like those are, those works on you. She had the squints and the and the nostril flares <laughs> mastered. Yeah, yeah, but I I, I do like that. I, I think she's got a little bit of both because uh yeah uh, Sydney had the this has happened to me and this is my past and it sucks that like this is following me around. I think uh, Sam has that plus the uh the the blood connection that around the identity because a, lo- a lot of her in this film is like trying to be protective of her sister because of like what she's seen happen to them in the past. Yeah, that's true, right? And she had her boyfriend be the killer, just like Sydney did, and stuff. And now she struggles to trust yeah, Danny. And, exactly. And I think that's cool too, because you see that strength from her too, being like, you know what, you're not allowed in here, Danny. Like, I, you're pretty new, and I, I, I don't know you that well yet. Right. And then it gives the audience, especially woke audiences, 
that opportunity to be like, oh, fuck yeah, Danny said he gets it, and he stayed out. <laughs> He's an ally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he supports the statement. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? I'm teasing, but yeah, I felt yeah. the same way. Like, okay, cool, Danny's cool. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I liked that. Uh, yeah, that Danny is a really interesting. Bracket, my God. <laughs> That that was really interesting because uh, who are you comparing him to? Like, would we compare him to like the boyfriend in Scream Two who like jumped on a table and sang a song? And it was oh my god, overbearing, <laughs> dude. So yeah, I've been watching that, and not to call any of you you guys out. I love I love seeing your guys' discussion. Everyone's talking Scream Six up in the spoiler channel in our Discord server. Not talking it up, but like kind of sharing their feelings about it. I think people forget moments like that where he's like got this whole song in a cafeteria. People have <laughs> such respect for this franchise. And I get it. I do too. But people forget how silly it can be. Like the whole thing was about a woman who's been targeted by a murderer and had all of her friends killed by like seven different murderers across 15 years. Like, yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so, like, let go. Like, let. I know there's a lot of suspension of disbelief, and I'm complaining about it too. But see, let this movie be a little bit silly. Uh, I see. So your your, your arguments, like, uh, you're, you're saying, don't be so critical of this film because the first franchise isn't like a gold standard or anything, or, or like it's not like taking itself too seriously. Yeah, I mean, I think the first film is incredible and is a gold standard. But ever since then, they've been good. I, I really love this franchise, but it's silly in its own right. It's a slasher franchise that's six movies in. Like, yeah, you can't expect it to move mountains and do something truly original every movie. You've got to expect it to be a scream movie that's fun and entertaining. Yep. and keeps you guessing, and and that's what it is to me. How did I even start this rant? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know, but uh, I you know the, the silliness thing's interesting because uh, yeah, part one I agree I agree with you like you don't have that there, but then part two it's actually when you when you jumped that that ranking that you talked about at the beginning like one four two f- five three right. Um, it's almost like one and four. I I wouldn't put the silliness on so much, but then when you get to two. F- Eh, five not so much either two and three i feel like were silly i wonder if like with five and six the tone is different like the kills are a lot more meaner um you have characters who are like are going through a lot more weight emotionally um so i almost feel like we're trying to break away from some of that silliness and so maybe that that's kind of like where it's hitting viewers is like why does this have the silliness that maybe yeah would have made sense in part three but not part six I think some people really like Scream 3, too, and, and appreciate the silliness. <laughs> sure. Um, I don't know, man. I think Scream 4 was a little silly in just how meta it was sometimes. Um, but even, you know, every killer's motivation even is a little bit silly once you get past the first one. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it does get pretty silly. Uh, which, yeah, talk about the three killers here and, and, like, the surprise and, like, how this all played out. Um, so would you say it's similar to part two where you've got basically the family from the killer from the last film? Like, that's what Scream 2 did as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was Billy Loomis's mom in Scream 2. So very similar s- setup here, and it takes place in a theater, the conclusion, which... So did the conclusion in Scream 2. Right, yeah. And, and I, th- I thought that was a really cool setting uh, for everything to wrap up. Like, it was kind of cool to be, like, uh, so meta that, like, you're wrapped, or, like, you're you're in this environment with all the things from the past films, like, around you. 
and then uh yeah great kill so i, I agree with you about the ending what, what's your uh take on the film like what thoughts what, what do you think worked what were the weaknesses here so i i think it worked i think it had the few things i liked about the last film were the tension the brutality and what else Tension, brutality, there's one of the I think, I think Melissa's acting. I think you mentioned <laughs> No, that. that was a weakness. <laughs> but the tension and brutality. Oh, the pacing. I think the pacing was great in both of these movies, mm. especially this one. It was barely like five or ten minutes before something was ex- exciting was happening again. Yeah. So it had all those things. It still stuck to that, those strengths, the pacing, the brutality, and... Uh, <laughs> I forget the other one. <laughs> pacing. <laughs> pacing, pacing, and pacing. Those yeah, are the three things. Anyway, it took everything that was good about Scream 5 and flipped all the bad things. Like, I didn't care about the acting or care for the acting in Scream 5. I thought it was much better, with a few exceptions. But Melissa Barrera is the core. She needs to be the good performer, and she was this time. And the relationships were weak in Scream 5. I didn't care. I didn't care about anybody. And I felt different here. Like, the core four stuff was cheesy. And, you know, if if Chad died, I wouldn't have been super sad. He's whatever. But I was on board with the friendships, and I was especially on board with Sam and Tara as sisters and their relationship this time. So they fixed a lot of the things that Scream 5 did wrong for me. Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree with those. I wonder, do you, do you think uh, part of like why Scream 5 might not have shown through with the similar strengths is because we had more overlap, like we had both um, Sydney and Dewey in there, so it was like trying too hard to kind of like balance like these new characters with the legacy characters and whereas like this one you just have gail as like the one legacy character and like that mix works versus like these two groups of like characters if you know what perhaps perhaps and that goes to what i said earlier like i i love sydney i don't necessarily wasn't eager to see her go but i think it's time it, it feels like the natural time for her to get out of the picture and let the movie focus yeah yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, what do you think were some of the weaknesses of this film? I mean, it's it's silly. It's, it's cheesy. Uh, Dermot Mulroney's performance especially is bad. Uh, the killer... I think one thing that pissed a lot of people off was how many people didn't die that were like... Good Lord. I mean, Chad especially was stabbed so many times. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Mindy was like really thoroughly deeply stabbed in the stomach like yeah multiple times it seemed um and gail seemed like she should have died too so yeah. i know that pissed people off but scream did that with dewey and with randy um in part one yeah okay yeah so i mean it's not unusual for the franchise it does go way harder here so i get it i think some people wanted another cl- character close to her to die but I'm cool with that not happening. We just lost Dewey, who'd been with us for five movies. Yeah. I don't feel the need to kill off another really important character this time. And because the weakness was the relationships for me last time, having everyone survive lets me get on board with the relationships and be on board going into seven because I'm like, okay, core four. Core four. Good Lord. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I make I, a shirt. <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. Like, uh, we, we lost a big character. We don't need to lose a big character again. But at the end of the day, this is a slasher, and the kills have to be impactful and meaningful. And yeah, we didn't lose anyone we're like really vested in. Like, somehow they all survived, even though we thought they died. 
which is really pissed me off. Like that pissed me off about the Infinity War, the the Marvel stuff, when like everyone died, but then somehow they all came back. Uh, so I hate when movies do that. Like they they trick you into false sense of like, oh man, everyone is dying, or like you're losing all your friends, but oh they're all okay. Uh, but on, on secondly, I I felt like this movie was so focused on Sarah and Tara and their relationship. Sam. Oh yes, <laughs> Sam and Tara and their relationship that uh, we didn't like dive too much into Chad or Mindy and uh, even Gil. Like we, we saw her a little bit, so um, it's almost like the, the, you had these B characters who they were too afraid to even kill off when they when they could have killed them off and given it some weight, but they neither like built them up and then they didn't stick to stick to like killing them off as like they led us to believe. So I, I feel like that was two strikes. Like, either build them up and don't kill them, or uh, don't build them up and kill them. I don't think the comedic relief in a, a movie like this typically needs to be built up. Like, I'm happy with Mindy the way she is. I wouldn't mind getting to know her more, but I don't need that. Like, she is the Randy. We never knew that much about Randy, either. We yeah. don't know a whole lot about Shelley in Friday the 13th Part 3. But I, I think Mindy's cool, and I'm okay not knowing more. And Chad... Yeah, we don't know that much about him. He's just, He's just a love interest for Tara, and Tara's not even the main character. So, but but they're half of the core four, and like that's like the catchline of this movie is the core they're four. They're half of the core four, but they're important to Sam and Tara, and that's all we need to know. <laughs> even, even like Quinn, we barely get a scene with Quinn or the guy that um, that she's seeing uh, across the hall. Uh, I just, I just feel like yeah we we got so little of any other character in here, so uh, yeah how how great do you feel that, that anyone survived in this? I'm okay with it, man. I, I think I'm glad they spent the time where they did, and it was an efficient movie. It was a action packed movie. I don't need to know more about uh, Danny other than the fact that he drinks Coors Light in bottles and. <laughs> He, he made the right choice to sit out and respected that she didn't trust him yet. There was so much Coors Light in this movie. Did you notice that? I didn't know. You think this in was a sponsorship? In the bodega, like every time something happened, they're getting thrown into like yet another cooler at Coors Light. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Some sponsorship yeah, I going think on? There was definitely, I think there was a sponsorship right. going on. He literally walked in the door with a six-pack of Coors Light in bottles. Who, Although in New York, you can't really buy things in big quantities. So. Oh, so maybe Coors Light is king. Maybe that's the move. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I think uh, you had to have some people close to the main characters die. Like, that's been a signature of, I think, every Scream film. And, like, here, the the closest you get is uh, Mindy's significant other um, who dies. I mean, the therapist wasn't anything special. Um, yeah, I Tatum guess, was the only one super close to Sydney that died in the first one. In the first one. Who wasn't a killer. Hmm. Yeah, well, and, I, and uh, again, I just think it's going to get repetitive. Repetitive yeah. if every movie you she loses one of her best friends. Like <laughs> that was Sid's arc. Like I don't know that we need to see the exact same arc again. Damn. All right. All right. So you think this is them like striking new territory? And yeah, out on and their I own. mean, yeah, and and they, uh, Matt. Gosh, I can. I always get their last names confused. Matt Bedlini Open. He has a quote. Let me see if I can find it. He says, this should be a secret feel-good movie. And then Tyler <laughs> says, we understand and fully embrace that we play a little fast and loose with that. Basically, like, people coming back, no, nothing really bad happening. And he says, I think that's part of the fun of these movies and the heightened reality that they live in. They go on to make a point that basically it was a conscious decision to steer into the wackiness um, 
and the legacy of people strangely surviving when you're this far into a franchise. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So leaning into that. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I guess good for them. A feel good movie. Uh, I guess that is kind of where you left at the at the end, which I I hate feeling good. So that was a little disappointing <laughs> to me. I was like, damn. I like it. I think after the gut punch of Dewey last time, I was I was ready for. Oh, you know, man. not like I wasn't. <laughs> I'm that emotionally invested, but I'm cool with having one where. Every the core character survived for once. I, I think Gail should have died though. Like, uh, does she? Need we could have lost Gail, but yeah. I'm fine with it. I don't care. Okay. Yeah, I wonder if that would have been like too predictable. Like every movie, you're killing off one of the legacy casts. Um, right. But but right. yeah, who knows? Um, Do you think they did a good job keeping you guessing on who was the killer, and did you predict things? Uh, I guess you already touched on that a little bit. Yeah, I, f- I felt like the detective uh, felt like a safe bet, but the other two, no, I, I didn't see that coming. Um, and it sounds like you you didn't either. No, I didn't. Yeah. And um, do you feel like, uh, well, I mean, w- one theme when you look at all the killers across all these Scream films, it always comes back to family. It's it's like a fucking, uh, what's that, Fast and Furious where like Vin Diesel's always like, it's all about family. <laughs> have, you, have you noticed yeah, there's that? Yeah, there's a quote here where uh, the cop says, you fuck with my family, you die. <laughs> and then Sam says, agreed. Assist- and that, oh. that foreshadows the ending. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly how it plays out. But standoff yeah, of family fuckers. It, it, but I mean, like, isn't that getting repetitive? Like, uh, part two, part three, part four, part six, all uh, family related. Yeah, I mean, it did exactly what the other ones do, and just like took a step back and expanded the universe to include characters that yeah. logically might exist, but they were never even mentioned in exactly. any of the movies. <laughs> These and relatives they're related to somebody somehow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's that's all the movies do. Is, isn't that killers. getting old and like repetitive? I I think yes, I think it is. So I I think the biggest weaknesses of the movie for me, the fan service, like I said, gets old to me, but. That reveal is just like, oh, okay, here we go again. Like, it, it, the same exact mechanism of expanding the world a little bit to reveal family members we didn't know existed, and now they're the killers. Like, that was a little eye-rolling for me, but... Yeah. I think you called that out in part three, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's 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 getting old now. Um, like, what's next? Like, Stu's got, like, a, a nephew somewhere. Who, exactly. Uh, going to come after like, yeah, where, where do you draw the line here? This is getting a little ridiculous. Yeah, we got to find a, a fresh motivation for the killers in the next one, I think. Yeah. Or, or it's going to get really, really monotonous. Sure. Did, I kind of wanted there to be an internet group like QAnon that truly believes Sam was the killer because they oh, keep yeah. alluding to that. Like she was being painted as the true killer yeah. on the internet. So I was I was expecting because I saw I accidentally saw a little bit of the trailer oh with all those ghost face masks lined up. Yep. So I was like, okay, there's a cult, and there oh, yeah. there are like followers of this story. So I expected in that conclusion like ten ghost faces to walk out. Yep. Um, but I think these movies have always been pretty fun and light, and then to try to tie this to something like January fifth or QAnon or Proud Boys <laughs> or anything, it just feels. Too heavy and topical. So <laughs> yeah. part of me wanted it to go there, but then I'm like, yeah, maybe better that, yeah. that they don't. I can't imagine. I, I feel like uh, part five went close to like being a satire of common day like fandom and uh, how people get obsessed about killers and trying to recreate that. So I, I feel like that was kind of a cool interplay with real life a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's also a line at the end where I think Ethan says it, like 
these days you can't just kill someone. You have to assassinate their character first. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that was pretty cringy. Pretty cringy. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for spelling it out for us, Ethan. Um, and then, uh, I guess, lastly, uh, did you feel like this was a reboot of Scream 2, or do you feel like this stands alone as a sequel to Five Scream? I mean, it's got so many ties to Scream 2 in the plot and the killer reveals and the settings and everything. But the third act, I think, really changed a lot from the original script. I think they had to change the script quite a bit when Sid wasn't going to be in it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, they had different ideas for how it would go. And it was supposed supposed to conclude in a warehouse in the script, hmm. but they found this cool old theater that they were able to take over. So okay. the parallel to Scream 2, like it being in a theater, wasn't part of the plan. That was kind of a happy accident. Cool, cool. Nice. Uh, yeah, that, that that's a cool uh, overlap there. And there wasn't all, the plan wasn't always to make it these three these three people the killers. Oh, so, okay, okay. A lot of so I think that it reasons. wasn't like from the get go we're gonna totally mimic Scream Two. I'm sure they had some of that in there, but yeah. I think by accident even more of it fell into place. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah, I, it's just surprising uh, if you know that that's the place that the killer is using to uh, you know get their resources from, just like. Uh, you don't necessarily have to hang out there. You could probably just like set up a video camera or something to find who comes there next or something. <laughs> I don't know. There's just like there's a smarter ways to approach this. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's not. Uh, if you want to get into the logic of things, it's not. <laughs> okay. It's just dumb. It's a dumb movie. Okay, so you liked it outside of the logic. It sounds like. I did. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, then, anything else? Or do you want to jump to the rating? Um, uh, I think we'll. Uh, Jump to the rating. All right, let's do it. Um, how many roommates' body parts in the fridge would you give this one? I give this four out of five roommates' body parts in the fridge. I think if you accept it for the ridiculous popcorn shoveling fun that it is, it's tense and entertaining, complete with relationships that were given enough attention to make us care. I also want to go on a rant that, to say, <laughs> to recognize, this is the sixth film in a slasher franchise. Like... Anybody who's criticizing it for being ridiculous, that's fine. I'm not saying you should ever give a movie a pass where you, it's beyond criticism just because it's silly fun. But I think we, we're we really holding the franchise to two highest standards. Like, look at the sixth film in Halloween, Friday the 13th, the Elm Street franchises. They're all ridiculous. Sure. I'm not saying they're all bad, but to some extent they're silly. And there's only one movie in this franchise that everyone seems to agree is kind of bad and that's Scream 3 <laughs> but even then the rest of the movies some people like that one and the rest of the movies have been great to really good or decent mm. so I don't know all I'm trying to say is I think people with Scream's meta-ness expect something earth shattering from these movies mm-hmm. but it also has to abide by a set of certain rules just like those other slashers franchises do I think we should just recognize we're six movies in with the same continuity the whole time, with zero retcons. Like, yeah. it's all sequential. There's been no movies that are just like, what the fuck? That was an alternate storyline. We're forgetting that even happened. Sure. No remakes or anything. It's six sequels, and they're all good, and they're all tight. Like, the logic, you know, the logic of how things are pulled off may not be good, but it, it's... 
the structure remains the same. The character, the world doesn't get broken and rewritten. <laughs> sure, man, that is like the most excuses I've heard you uh, say for like a film that you can afford to. That's like a huge asterisk. <laughs> like it's a four. See the asterisk. This is the sixth film in a franchise. The sixth to the <laughs> rules. It's not breaking anything. <laughs> All I'm saying is I wasn't going. I think a lot of people were going in thinking this is going to be the shit. Yeah, and. I, but, just, I I didn't feel that way. But we we just talked to have we went into this with like kind of like middle expectations, not expecting much. So exactly. I, I I don't know. I, I feel like most people probably you think you think people actually thought this would be like at par with like part one or something. Oh yeah, man. Not on par with part one, but like uh, on the server, people are excited. They're yeah, you know, they get more excited about something like this than I get excited about anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which right. says more about me than them. But <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think people get a little hyped. And I yeah, you and I come in from a place of middling expectations. Yeah. Movie ratings and the way you feel is very subjective. Yeah, but I feel like those middling expectations take into account that this is like everything you said, it's the sixth film in the franchise, um, and that hasn't like peaked since part one. Um and like yeah, even the closest following like part four or like part two, like there's quite a drop off, I think, from the first one. Um so I, I do feel like we can go into this like, yeah, it's it's the sixth film. The expectations aren't to be blown away or anything, but there's still expectations for it to be a decent enough movie. Um, which I, I didn't even mean what I said so much as an asterisk or a hedge my bet. I'm just saying, like, I'm almost talking out of two sides of my mouth. Like, one side <laughs> says, hey, don't expect so much from this franchise. And the other side says, hey, let's all recognize that this franchise is made better movies than pretty much any other horror franchise. Sure, More sure. consistently. Got it. Yeah, yeah, there's no uh, arguing that, I think. Yeah, six films in. Yeah, the worst of it is, isn't even that bad. You're right. Screen 3 is not even that bad, you know? Like, <laughs> all those other yeah. franchises have at least one real stinker. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, usually you get, like, maybe one or two really good ones, and then it drops off, like, pretty badly. Right. Uh, all right, yeah, that, that's a fair point. Um, I only came in at three uh, roommate body parts in the fridge. Um, you know, I, I think, to your point, yeah, this this is a fun sequel, a great popcorn movie. It effectively amps up the violence and the meanness of the kills. I don't know if we call that out enough, but, like, yeah, it feels very brutal, and, and the kills are great. And it centers on a strong sibling dynamic that you pointed out, but I think, unfortunately, the, the, the attempt here to make it feel fresh, uh, feels more contrived. Uh, a lot of the surprises that they brought in just felt like slight tweaks to what they did in the past with part two in the franchise. And at the end of the day, while it is an improvement on part five, I feel like they didn't pull like those swings that they needed to, to make this a memorable film, like killing off main characters. Like the, the, I, I really liked that they killed Dewey in the last one. And I, I love when they kill important people or meaningful characters because that's, that's what makes it feel like a, a serious film that respects its audience. And if you're not going to kill the people that you're attached to, then who are you going to kill? That's what I was saying. Who, who would you like to, you wanted to see Gail go? I think at the least Gail could have gone, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think Chad and, and Mindy, I, I would have preferred Chad, but like I don't feel like they had enough weights. Like we know them from the last film. In this film, we got a little bit more of them, but I feel like one of them could have easily been taken out here. I think it would will hurt more if we hang on to them a little longer and get to like them more. Oh, okay. Got it. I, I do think Gail could have gone, especially because she had her little bit of like, tell Sydney he never got me or, or whatever she says there. Like, that could have very well been it. Like, yeah. I don't necessarily see the need story-wise for her to come back again. Yeah, yeah. But, I know. That was such like a, a, like a great closure on her character. 
It was, yeah. But it didn't bother me at the same time. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, kill count, I think, was higher in this one than the first movie. Yeah. So far, yeah. Kill count is, is high, but like it's no one you really give a shit about. Or, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. You're talking about like everyone in the bodega, people, uh, who else? Uh, the shrink. Um, who else died? Oh, the, you keep the, saying everyone in the bodega. I could have sworn the shopkeep was the only guy who died. Oh no, there was like a like as soon as Ghostface comes in, he like stabs a dude. Um, okay, so maybe two or three people died in there only. Um, and then uh, yeah, the, the shrink. Um, I forget who else dies. Oh, and, and then Aunt Annika, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what was actually pretty meta? What? Me using the argument of them putting too many Easter eggs so people could brag about noticing the Easter eggs <laughs> as a way to brag about noticing <laughs> yeah, an Easter egg. There you go. <laughs> Here's this guy. <laughs> Thriving on it. <laughs> hey, <laughs> But for real, I th- I'm sure we're going to get at least one person telling us the stuff we, we didn't missed. bring up or didn- we should notice. Sure. Do you want to throw in like a men, women, chainsaw quote just to be safe? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Got to save something for next episode. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. All right, anything else to add? That's it. I'm tapped out. I'll stop. Cool. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our discussion on Scream 6. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find our show. And we always welcome the feedback. If you want to join our discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter. Sorry, Facebook and Instagram, in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord, where you can find us and other horror fans chatting away. Um, You can find the link to that on our website. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart, so check her out on Etsy.com, and there's some cool merch for the show. And until next time, I guess according to Brian, if you're under attack by a serial killer... Go after the families of everyone you know because it's likely someone tied to the people you know. We just, I, I guess, keep a scrapbook of all your friends and, uh, yeah, all your friends' families. Just, yeah. <laughs> just so Family you know who's who. It's, it's likely one of them. Yeah. <laughs> there might be a Cindy Prescott you can take down. <laughs> exactly. She's coming up. <laughs> and a Sarah Carpenter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 